Hello, hello. Welcome yet again to another episode of Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen, where we are neither live, we're happy, and we're sure as hell not an hour. Uh, that is for sure. And today, I'm, I'm dipping into the friendly fire category and having a client of Bevstrat here on the podcast, Nine North, and Brian from Nine North, CEO, founder, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of those fronts, but the rum category is where they play. And um, they've got a great brand story. And the reason why I wanted them on the cast is because they're not from the business. And we get asked all the time here at Bevstrad or InvestBev or walking down the street or at trade shows about how to get into the business. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for someone who is not from the business historically, a lifer, if you will, uh, to talk about it. So Brian, welcome to the podcast. And, and did I get that? Did I get any of that right? Is all of that wrong? Tell me more. Actually, I'm not the founder. So Gary Hill is the is the is the genius behind the the product itself. The the, the gentleman, one of my partners, that that really developed had the idea around the product and and came up with the formula flavor profile, if you want to call it that. I'll and, interrupt you for uh, one second and say Ray Kroc wasn't the founder of McDonald's. <laughs> and look at Ray Kroc now. Right. Right, right. And uh, from a title standpoint, I mean, there's three of us. There's myself, there's Gary Hill, there's Scott Shaw. And we all kind of wear multiple hats and really can do whatever we need to do to help get the business off the ground and do whatever we can to grow it. So uh, we do have areas of specialties, uh, but we just like to see ourselves as partners and owners in this venture. When I, when I look at hard businesses to be involved with, let me run through my, a list of my top five. Top three. One is Navy SEAL. Uh, you know, two, NASA pilot, right? And third is crash test dummy. You know, those are hard businesses to be in. And fourth is the booze business. Yeah. And so uh, I know that no one wants to be a crash test dummy. You know that. But why the booze business? You had, I know you had a career, and, and uh, you know, you had a whole professional life before slinging booze. So what drew you and your team really to selling adult beverages and, and, and what was that path like? So uh, I guess it was kind of a few things. One is uh, I'd been in you know, big business and consulting for decades and, and wanted to do something more entrepreneurial where I felt like I could you know, start something from scratch and figure out how to grow the business. I think the second thing is I really wanted to work closely with, with, with some of my friends. So um, one of our other partners, Scott Shaw, is actually a a guy that I've known for 30 years. We went to high school together. And I guess why booze is Scott had been working with, you know, Gary developed the product. Uh, Scott, you know, had teamed up with him more as a consultant to start off with to help him kind of build the brand, come up with the name, you know, design the packaging, which if you haven't seen our product is, is very different when you think it's spice rum. And, you know, they had been working together and, you know, as I said, looking for an opportunity to work with a close friend. They had some original success and some, and some market testing at a, at a rum festival in Miami a couple of years back. And they really needed someone to, with my expertise around operations, finance, sales, kind of, uh, you know, scalability, if you want to call it. And it was, so the booze interest was more about kind of an exciting, interesting opportunity. Like everyone wants to get involved at some level with, with booze, as well as being sure. able to work with some, some friends, a, a good fit for what they needed with, with what I had to offer and really just starting things from scratch and, you know, being an entrepreneur. Looking back on that, you know, there, it's funny because there are a lot of stories that we hear 
you know, on the podcast and, and, you know, there's about, about 30,000 or so people that download this thing every week and um, God bless them. But I always get, people always say to me, you know, founder stories, like what was it that, you know, there's always the proverbial, we can do it better, right? I can make a better something. So yeah. in your case and with nine North, what was it that was broken perhaps, or what, you know, what are you fixing? What are you solving for with the brand? So we see rum as an underappreciated category that really has not caught up with the super premium trend, you know, the 35 plus dollar bottle category. Similar to, you know, vodka's kind of had its heyday a decade or two ago. You've seen bourbon and tequila taking advantage of that now, right? Mezcal too. We saw rum as, as a category that really didn't have a breakthrough brand in the super premium ca category. And so we saw upside there, um, you know, could we be the Patron, right, uh, of tequila. Yeah. And that, and when we looked at rum, you know, we just, we saw spiced rum as, as an area that was very similar and uh, just around Caribbean and pirates and baking spices, you know, the, the cinnamon, nutmeg, blah, 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 blah. As um, if we could come up with something that was more modern, that was kind of opposite of everything that's in Spice Rum. So if we could be global and, uh, and, and talk about experiences and uh, connect with a younger, a younger consumer, that we could really break open not only Spice Rum, but this kind of super premium category within rum, and then add on other products down the road, uh, more aged rum, simpler rums, uh, et cetera. So we just saw it as a, an area that was somewhat stagnant and need, was ripe for innovation. And we felt like with the right product, with the right packaging, with the right branding, we could wow uh, not only consumers, but bartenders and, and, and retailers alike. Sure. Let's, I, I want to hear more about, you know, why we're not doing a, a pirate with his foot on a barrel, but I got to take a break. We have a word coming here from Anheuser-Busch, one of our best sponsors. So hang tight for one second, please. And we are back. Thank you to Anheuser-Busch. Remember when drinking a cold one this holiday season, reach for a Budweiser. So Brian, coming back from this pirate with a foot on a barrel kind of thing, you guys are not that. We've sold your brand at Bevstrat around, in and around Southern California. You are sophisticated, you're unique, it's a whole different demographic. What was the impetus behind going way upscale instead of way mainstream? I guess we wanted to be appealing to uh, just a, a different crowd. We didn't want to be you know, connected with rum and coke. We didn't want to be a uh, you know, sugar drink, right? Um, we wanted to have a, a product that could stand on its own, mix well with not only you know traditional rum cocktails like a like a daiquiri, a classic daiquiri, not your frozen daiquiris I'm talking about, um, but then also work well with uh, in, in, in the in spaces of other spirits like uh, you know be used in an old fashioned or in Manhattan instead of a bourbon, or we've got our own kind of Negroni version of, of, of a drink with with Aperol sweet vermouth that's it, out of this world, so. We wanted to have a product that stood on its own, um, high quality, and we can talk a little bit more about kind of what goes into the rum in a bit if you're interested, and, and then also have something that was appealing to mixologists, uh, something that 
most traditional rums, uh, you know, don't check any of those boxes. Traditional spice rums, don't check any of those boxes. Sure. And do you, the three partners, and coming into the business with, not from the business, what would you say your learning curves were? You know, what was the most obvious? What was the one that kicked you in the head? And one is, what was the most, you never could have seen it coming, how hard this was or challenging this was or complicated that is? Because a lot of our listening base are people that aren't in the game like you are and successful yep. in the game. They're on the sidelines and they're trying to do, find data points that say, yeah, I can do this. And, and here is a podcast that said, that told me three things I, I didn't see coming, but, but Brian has told me to look out for him and now I know. So what would three things be that you did not even envision that have caused you a world of pain? Or learning, not even pain. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess three things. Um, one is some of the legal issues, the trademarks, the, the you know the label approvals, and all that is 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 more challenging than you would think. So get the right advisors up front um, to help you understand. It's hard to actually find a name that's not already taken in, the, in this in this. A name for a brand. A name for the brand, right? So find the right you know advisors, both you know to, to help with. Cola approvals and, you know, name trademarks and, and all that. Second thing is, you know, you would think that there'd be people knocking at your door to invest in a booze business, but raising money and spirits is, is hard. So find the right partners that have access to a big network of seed investors, friends and family, et cetera, because take uh, raising money is a challenge. And then now that we're sort of in the market, I, I guess a big learning is it's hard to get people to, you know, first of all, you have to have liquor on lips. People have to taste the product to buy it. But, but secondly, even when people tell you they like the product, actually get them to buy the product is, is a big step until you can build a brand and have a following and get recommendations from each other. Yeah. So you've got to be super aggressive around having tastings in stores, having you know, sample bottles that you can give to friends, asking friends to buy, right? You know, hey, we're in this store in your neighborhood. Please go buy a bottle. Um, so you can't just expect demand to come to you. You have to be, you know, very aggressive about getting your product in front of customers and, you know, giving them discounts or, or some other way to help buy that first bottle. You know, and then if they, you know, assume they like it, they refer it to friends, you, you can get a little spiral from there. But getting that and a handful of customers to, to your initial customer base, you know, your first couple hundred, is hard and you got to be super aggressive. Uh, and Brian, as you and I talked about, you got to work hard to make it happen. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you say that because in listening to what you said, a lot of that resonates and people just don't know. And a couple of things we sh I want to just kind of come back to. One would be raising money. The liquor business seems like a no brainer investment. You, you walk down any dining room of any restaurant in any city on earth and everyone's got a a glass of something in front of them at dinner time, booze, wine, beer, something. And now, you know, weed were legal. So someone, everyone's on something somewhere. And so you'd think that an investor would say, well, everyone's drinking. This is a pretty good investment. This is not solar, right? This is not Bitcoin. You're investing in something that the world consumes globally. Whereas solar, you got to buy a solar farm and you've got to buy a generator. There's a whole, there's a whole process to it. In Bitcoin, you, you buy it and you, you grab your ankles and you hope for the best. Booze is a business that's gone up every year since 1933. Booze companies, and, and Brian, I don't know if, you, if we've even talked about this when we were together in La Jolla, 
booze business has 19% of pension funds invest in adult beverage. 19% of the whole oh. are in adult beverage. 25% multiple is the average exit price of a spirit brand, a 25X. So when you look at these things, it seems like a no-brainer investment, but what people don't understand is that there's a, quite a bit of ways between picking the name of your brand and being Casa Amigos oh. or Aviation or Avion, or we can go on and on and on, or even Treasury Wine yesterday spent a billion dollars uh, you know, on a winery. What do you feel about the consolidation of distributors? If you saw yesterday, um, RNDC, who's ever growing and ever expanding, just bought Opichi in New York, and a week prior just bought Heritage in Chicago. So one of the things we talk about on the show is these barriers of entry and these artificial moats that are created. There's really only three big distributors left in the country, RNDC, Breakthrough, and Southern. With the consolidation of all these distributors, what you really have is profitability for the distributor, but you have supply chain contraction for the brands. Yeah. So you've gone to market in, an, in a different way in California. You've gone to market through 3PLs. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what led to that decision and what place would a 3PL play in the startup brand's kind of uh, origin story? So a challenge when you're an early stage brand is if you, if you go to a, a larger distributor, a Southern or RNDC, it's just, they're, it's hard to get the attention of the sales force unless you're willing to give them loads of money, which most early stage spirits brands don't have. It's, it, it, it's hard for um, them to pay attention. It's hard for them to communicate your brand message and your story effectively. And uh, we wanted to do something different. So as, as Brian said, we looked at the 3PL route and it, self self distribution is another name uh, for it. You know, Park Street and MHW are a couple of the players there. And the the thing about going that route is, you know, they'll help you with order fulfillment, with compliance, but really you're your own sales force. Uh, either your brand or you work with a third party like Bevstrat, and you can much more effectively control your brand story, control your pricing, and be able to communicate why it's a good product, why it's differentiated, why a retailer needs it. And if you were to go to a distributor, it's almost like the telephone game. Some of that would probably get lost. You'd get put, you know, we're trying to be a super premium product. Uh, you know, they probably want to ask, they probably ask us to sell lower price. So you have going with a, a 3PL, as you call it, you have a lot more control of your, your brand, your messaging, uh, the kind of locations you want to go to, right? We're, we're more focused on, smaller retailers, you know, bespoke higher end bottle shops, uh, you know, upscale bars and restaurants. Uh, we want to do that before we go to the bigger chain stores, right? Which, um, yeah. you know, an RDC or a big distributor can really do a better job helping you with, but we feel like it's better to build our brand and uh, prove our worth in the market before going down that distributor route. You know, it's funny. Uh, and I keep saying it's funny because this whole industry is funny. You cannot get to a Southern, a Breakthrough, or an RNDC without 100 to 150 PODs, points of distribution. Yeah. And you can't sometimes get there without Southern, Breakthrough, or RNDC. So you have this circle. You can't get to where they want you to be without them, and they won't take you until you get to where they want you to be. So what has, what has come up is the proliferation of these three PLs, whether it's LibDiv, MHW, Park Street, American Spirit Exchange. There, you know, there are quite a few. And they allow brands an opportunity to really play in the market 
without, until they figure it out, right? And this goes back to your investment thing. No one wants your investment theory, right? No one wants to invest in a startup. They want to invest in a growth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always say when we talk from putting the Bevstrat hat on, if we're talking to brands, we say you need, aside from production costs on your brand, two things you have to keep in mind. And I would love for you, Brian, even comment if you feel this is, this is accurate. Um, one is you have to develop, you have to devote at least two times what you're spending on product on marketing. You can be really gorilla or grassroot, but if you're spending $10 on a product, you got to spend $20 to market it in, in simple terms. I agree with that ratio. Yeah. And, and two is you won't get shit until you're a year plus in because the liquor business as a year, if you, if you look at really, I was just on a, on a, I just, we just filmed an episode a couple hours before this. And one of the things I told the guys is that Jägermeister is the worst brand with the best marketing. hundred percent. It's Sydney Frank's gem. And you, you take a horrible drink, you enlist a bunch of frat guys, you put baseball hats on backwards and you put a bunch of women in lederhosen and you give them shots. And that is how Jägermeister got there. You know, whoever it appears on, on the podcast, you know, this is how it happened. This is yeah. how it happened. They would walk around in Lederhosen and give out shots of Jägermeister and teenage boys or, or college age boys liked it. They, it became a dare shot. I dare you to do Jägermeister. I dare you to drink this as your last shot of the night or whatever it is. And that's how Jägermeister became Jägermeister. And those days are gone now, but that for any number of reasons that the world has evolved, thankfully, but that kind of marketing was two or three X what the cost of the product was. So you really have to bet it forward. You have to bet it forward in time. You have to bet it forward in marketing. And then in a great world, the time you've overspent and overmarketed, you're at 150 stores. And then you go to Southern, then you go to RNDC and you can start to be in charge of your own destiny. Instead of them taking you with a 40% gross margin that they add on to the cost of your goods, They'll say, okay, we'll sell you at 30 points. You'll still be shelf stable in terms of price and we'll be in this together. So is that, do you think I've, I've accurately kind of depicted the market in that regard? Yeah. The, the one thing you didn't highlight is probably worth adding is this, the direct to consumer trend, just given what's happened through COVID is, has really, uh, an e-commerce sales has skyrocketed in the last you know couple of years. And part of that, you know, marketing is two extra production costs. Part of that needs to go to social media advertising yeah. in your area, at least the brands that the, in, in the service providers that we talk to um, see that as a very important way to help to, to help scale, right? And you need to get you need to get to that you know 150 couple hundred PODs to help get enough volume to actually drive down your production costs so that the distributor model works. I mean, the good thing about three PLs is it's really only two parties, right? So you 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 can 100%. Sell your product to retailers at a bit higher price than you can sell to to distributors. That's why I say being in the liquor business is the is the fourth best job behind crash test dummy. You know, <laughs> it, it is the challenges are there, but for the good entrepreneurs, what we would call brand entrepreneurs, or the good operators, which is what you are, or good marketers, which is what your partners are. That's you need that framework. You yeah. need that framework, and more. And, and and I will as we kind of wind down. The one thing that I think the listeners should know is that the final piece of this puzzle is you've got to be an involved supplier, which you guys are at Nine North. You've got to be in the market. You've got to call the accounts. You've got to go the extra step in 
knowing who your audience is because Bevstrat or anyone like us can push the brand into a market. We do our best, we put people out there, we'll present it for sale. The consumer has to buy a brand. Brands are not measured on that initial pull. Brands are measured on the reorder. And the reorder comes with active suppliers. And so you guys at Nine North are really, really good at that. And that will serve you well as you go forward. And I think our listeners should know that. And I, you know, as I get to know you guys better, there's not a lot of rest in your game. You know, not a lot of chill. It's a lot of hustle, a lot of analysis, and a lot of in the field, a lot of meeting people on weekends and doing those things because that's how brands are built. And if you could give like a budding entrepreneur, a brand entrepreneur, someone who was where you were 18 months ago or 24 months ago, one lesson, one thing that you can take to heart. You got to work hard. Either you have to be out in the market continually or, or, or have a, you know, a third party sales force that, sales force that, that, that works with you. Because um, as you said, you know, you can get a distribution point and get a retailer, but you've got to figure out the right ways to, to pull through that so you can generate reorders and, and so forth. And it's, it's not a simple process. So um, build your own network when the industry, I mean, I, I, I probably have six or eight different early stage brand founders that I've met over the last year. And I talked to them and we share lessons learned, what's worked, what doesn't work. So uh, particularly if you're new to, new to the space, you know, build a network and, and talk to others and learn where they went wrong and, um, uh, you know, adjust your plans accordingly. That's a great, of all the episodes we've done, you're the first guy to say that. Build a yeah. network. That, that's, yeah. that's like a peer, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Vistage group or a YPO peer group or whatever yeah. forum. You're yeah. building a group of like-minded individuals that you can share and swap stories with and yeah. hopefully pull your mistakes to avoid. That is a great nugget right there. And, and, and you know, if you're a ROM or even like uh, that competes with us or another spirit, most people are more than happy to help. I mean, I'm happy to help people. Uh, you know, I, I have a weekly, I've got a pretty good friend. He and a buddy are launching a, a gin. They've got license from a super premium gin, really expensive gin in, in London. And um, they, they got the license for the U.S. And we talk, you know, once a month. Uh, what's working? What's not working? How's this partner going? Uh, you know, how's your direct consumer business going? You got to learn from others. If there's one thing in my decades of consulting, it's like, you're a better consultant because you worked with clients over decades and you have stories and you, and you have lessons learned and you know best practices and you've got to build your network to figure out how to do that in the early stage spirits world. That's a great nugget. I wish that's a great nugget. I wish I had said it first. <laughs> how can listeners find you, your website, your social channels? Yeah. Yeah. So Google search, uh, nine North spice rum. It's nine North rum.com. Um, uh, we, we ship to most states in the U.S. if you want to order online on the retail outlet. We're just available in, in Southern California. We send out a, a newsletter every month with our new distribution points. Uh, work with Brian over the, you know, the, the last month or two. We're, we've got one coming out later today that will announce about 20-plus new uh, uh, re retailers and bars and restaurants, which is great. Um, so sign up for our newsletter on our website, you know, website, social media on, uh, you know, Instagram, uh, nine North Rum. So, yeah, I would say just in, in closing first, thank you for being here. Um, yeah. thank you for coming on. Um, this is a brand to watch folks starting, you know, we work with them in Southern Cal, but there is such opportunity in this category. It is indeed blue ocean the same way gin is going to pop at some point, like it has in England. 
rum will do the same here. It's a subcategory of the kind of the harder, the higher proof alcohol categories. And there's nothing in the premium spot. It really is, uh, this is uh, totally open for brands. And if you uh, do have a chance to pick up a bottle, um, drop Ryan and his team a note and tell them how you love it. So yep. thank you, Ryan, for being on the show. Yep. Uh, my, can I just give one plug, just a, a little bit about the product so folks understand it? Just, uh, I don't know if it came through early on. I mean, we've got a three-year Panamanian aged rum, which is quite different than other spice rums on the market. So high quality base rum, it was super important to us. And then uh, our flavor profile is very unique. So ginger, lemongrass, green tea, citrus, botanicals, very Southeast Asian influenced. Uh, and that's where the name Nine North came from. So it's the latitude line that connects Panama, uh, where the rum comes from, and uh, Southeast Asia, the region that is Barter flavor. So we'd love for you to try it. Send us your feedback. We'd love to hear it. That's great. Well, thank you for that. And and so we got, you know, like we like to do on the, on the happy hour is a little about the brand, a little bit about business, a little bit about history, a little bit about your struggle, and a little bit about your success. And I think we've got all of that. And what I'm sensing is there's, you know, four of those five things are in the rear view. And what's forward now is a success. So thanks for coming on, Brian. This has been Brian Rosen with Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen, where we are not live. We are not an hour, but we are indeed happy. Thanks so much for being on the show.